keep me hanging around. Yeah. Um, I know all those people you speak of, and I know of those issues you talked about. And I want to talk about that later. I didn't know it was that early on with your relationship at, at Chorus. I didn't. I thought you had been there a while. I, that's 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 new to me. Um, I will. Uh, so that so having twenty years in the same. I want to say not the same building. The building's changed a few times, but uh, in the same with the same company. Uh, your show though has changed over the years, and uh, um, I had heard a story that you uh, there they do research, um, uh, you know, on, on shows, you know, percept, uh, you know, perception, uh, people's what they think of the show, and play them a clip, and and people will see things. Um, I had heard a story that uh, you used to do a feature called Tool of the Day, which was, uh, and you, and you, and you, the, the angle, like it was kind of angry John. Like there was, there was a character, you know, I don't, it was you, I think turned up to 12, right? Um, and uh, I had heard that the, the, the perception of that, the, the research came back not so, not so great, but you were really willing to go, okay, well then we won't do it. Is that, is that, is that a true story or did somebody make that um... up? I, I don't I don't specifically recall it as being a direct um, result of a you know a perception. Well, it, it very well could have been. Yeah. Um. Be, be, because one of the things it it had been it had been the on the air for quite some time. And, and you're right. When you're calling something the tool of the day, it's it's almost always derogatory. It's almost always negative. And although at at the time you know when it was. Um, when it was still relatively new and fresh, uh, it, it was a hook and every every show needs one of those. So I think that's a good example of something that at the time worked really well. Yeah. And then I think with anything you do in life, you have to look every once in a while and go, OK, th this worked for me three years ago. Is it working for me today? So it was you know, discussed. Uh, I'm, I'm even trying to think of, of exactly how, but we just thought, you know what? Okay. You know, maybe it's, it's just time to, to drop this and to, and to move on. I, I would think too that, and, and, and you know, this very well, Bob, the, uh, the radio business, the way the radio business is, um, is, is dealt with in relation to complaints and, and what, is said and allowed on radio stations has changed greatly in these last 20 years. But, but maybe most importantly, the sensibilities of society have changed a lot since, since 2000. And, you know, I, I work every day with two great guys, Ryan Parker and John Garvin. And Ryan and I have been together. He's been with me since very, very close to the beginning of the show. And, and, and we laugh sometimes at some of the things that we used to do, say in 2005 or 2008, that you simply couldn't do today. Like that, that, it's been such a major shift in, in sensibilities and the way that people look at things and the way people hear things. And for that reason, we, we've had to constantly reevaluate what we're doing and how it works at, at, at any given time. So, you know, we, we all know that 1990 and 2010 or 2021 are, are vastly different, Yeah, but 2010 and 2021 are very different too. So I think the only reason that anyone could stay at any position in the media unless you're actually just a, a very good reporter and you're just reporting what's happening at any time. 
but otherwise, I think with something like a morning show, it's absolutely imperative that you do make change, that even, even if you keep the, the basis of what you do somewhat similar, you definitely, you know, if the, put it this way, if the main course is going to be meat and potatoes every night, you'd better change up what you're serving with it or people are going to get tired of it very, very quickly. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah, you have to evolve. Have you ever been in a situation? I want to talk about Ryan too, because I was around then. That we were. That was when Q and Edge were all in the same building. They are like they are now, but for the for, around the first time at the very beginning of it. And uh, him, he and I had a lot in common because we both kind of walked in off the streets onto our respective morning shows, and uh, and 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 we're very lucky to continue on in the business. But have you ever had a situation where one of the and you know not where a program director asked you to change something and you you really didn't want to and how did you deal with that uh i, I would suspect i have uh, yeah, probably <laughs> yeah i i would guess so and you know there was a time when when i spent way too much of my energy fighting and yeah. and uh, there were there were probably lots of times where i fought back on stuff that i really didn't even care about I just felt like fighting and a big part of that was ego, right? Like I just, you're not going to tell me what to do. And, yeah. you know, I think at some point you realize, well, what am I doing here? Like, why is that so important to me? Why, why is it so important that I'm bothered that somebody who is in a position of authority, like a boss wants me to change something? Is it, is it just simply my own ego? Because if it is like that, that's something I got to look at. And, so yeah, I, I'm I'm sure it did happen. I can tell you, it definitely happened when I was at the fan because I I was I was a largely a very angry guy then, and 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 that that's part of what we did on the air. But but it, I I took it to to lengths that I probably shouldn't have just just simply for the sake of fighting back. And you know there was a weird there was a weird there's always been this odd kind of thing in radio, and you don't see it much anymore, but. It was kind of like, you know, I'm 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 not going to take it from the man. Right. Yeah, like yeah. I'm I'm going to show everyone I'm I'm not the kind of guy who kowtows to the boss. And, you know, at some point in your life, I guess you can continue that if you want to. But at some point I thought, you know what, these people are, are really good to me and they treat me with respect. So if they, if they're going to ask me to do things even that I don't want to do, like they kind of deserve to be heard. And then a lot of the times you realize, you know what, they were right. That's interesting. You know, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, I think you need a healthy ego to be a morning show host anywhere, never mind Toronto. You need a healthy ego because you have to believe that hundreds of thousands of people want to hear what you have to say. And that's a healthy ego to turn on the mic and think all these people want to hear what I have to say. But I think you're right. I think with with age comes wisdom. Um, would you say that uh, having a family kind of helped you kind of you know realize step back that that angry guy uh it, you're, you're kind of wasting your some energy on that and, and it is time to change would, would it would having a family i think i feel like anybody i know that as they get older and they find somebody to ground them did that was is that your experience bang on buddy i if had i continued with more in that answer i i, I would have brought that up yes because yeah. it, it did come to my sure i mean i think you have to in order to successfully navigate having, you know, in my particular case, you know, three children, yeah, you have to look at things. It's not just about you anymore. It's not just, 
because there, there were a lot of times that I, I, you know, I mean, if I'd lost a job for, for doing something, I would have gone, ah, you know what, I'll find another job. Well, you know, at some point you go, now I got a family to feed. And I, I have kids that, you know, look up to me and require me to go to work every day. And so, yeah, I got to, uh, instead of just leading with whatever comes to mind, <laughs> I, I have to think of them, be, you know, essentially before I, before I do or say anything. Put so, a little yeah, filter on it. <laughs> abs absolutely. And, and, and I, 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 I can't imagine anyone saying, yeah, no, no, I have six kids, but I don't really care. I do what <laughs> I want. Right. Um, and, and look, I, I think, I think that has certainly become, become something as, as you know, with what we've navigated as a, as a planet in the last year and a half. Right. I mean, I've often thought to myself, how would I feel about everything that's happened in COVID if I was 22 and single, well, I think it would be radically different than the way I feel right now. But I have responsibilities to, to my family, to my children and my wife. And, and therefore, I have to, you know, kind of act accordingly. So I, I would say not only does that apply to, to your original question, but it really does apply to most things in life, both professionally and personally. Yeah, kind of putting yourself in, uh, I mean, you know, putting your family first and then what you're saying about not, you know, just not not saying the first thing that comes to mind um, and, you know, respecting where the person who is saying it is coming from and, and trying to understand them. You mentioned uh, your time at the Fan 590. And uh, I mean, that you talk about a change. You were a rock jock for, for like probably 20 years at that point and uh, you go and do mornings you said you were a pretty angry guy there what, what can you tell me about your about the time of you know going to talk radio from uh going for, to from rock to to talk well so it, thing, things changed I, I worked with two really good groups of guys but it, the circumstances were were very different when it started it was mike richards along with craig van who is our you know engineer uh, operator and then Jim Lang, who was the producer, and um, we we had walked into a situation uh, kind of blind, and we realized very shortly into it. This was um, in early 1995. So did you come from Montreal? Sorry to interrupt. I did. Yeah. Okay. You're at Shome in Montreal, right? Correct. So I started at Q uh, in, in doing afternoons in in 1984, and I I was just a kid, and and all my only goal in life was to to work in radio in toronto my my first job um if you don't mind me taking a no step please back. do yeah yeah for sure okay so when i was in high school uh, i i got a job at um at cftr which is now 680 news and uh i was uh, like a, an operator a producer because every announcer had a guy on the other side of the glass who was actually pushing all the buttons so i was just <laughs> I was just 16 when I started there and wow. I, I op operated for a couple of years at CFTR learned like learned from some absolute greats. It was, it was an amazing, very heady time for a, for a teenager. But I, but I realized the first day I walked in there that this is what I wanted to do with my life. So did that for a couple of years, finished high school. My first job on the air was in Sarnia. 
Um, I, I, you know, my, my actual very first gig in Sarnia was doing country from midnight to six. And, and this was, this was like old school, traditional country stuff from like the fifties and sixties. So that was, that was a real wake up call, but right. You're learning, you don't, you know, I didn't care. I was 18 at the time and I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. Uh, then I went to Ottawa very briefly. Briefly, stayed about six months in Ottawa. So the first two stations, the first three stations that I worked at, including CFTR, were all top forty, and um, it was it was enjoyable. I've always loved you know pop music, but my real musical love was was rock and and hard rock. Like at the time, I was really into Van Halen and Judas Priest and ACDC, but but I would I I you know sort of compartmentalized. My work music was top 40 because I love the energy of top 40 radio. Yet when I went home, I'd, I'd be listening to Zeppelin. So yeah. uh, I, I, I was at this station in Ottawa and it was a very stable place. There was going to be no room for advancement. I was working from two until six in the morning oh. and I, I knew I wasn't going to go anywhere. Um, so I was looking and there used to be a... a a Canadian music industry trade sheet called RPM. And um, RPM used to have classified ads in the back. So I, I go through the classified ads in RPM and it says, K97 in Edmonton is looking for a swing announcer, like basically like a weekend and fill-in announcer. Uh, and, and, you know, basically saying like, we're the, you know, blowtorch of Alberta. And I, I, I knew, <laughs> I kind of looked them up and realized, okay, they, they rock pretty hard out there. And I thought, you know what, maybe, maybe I should give this a shot. Like it is the music that I love. I, I remember listening to Q107 when the station went on the air in 77 and, and Chum FM at the time was, was still a rock station and, and, and they, they did, you know, a great job at what, at what they did. So I thought I'll give it a shot. And I got the job and I went out to Edmonton uh, with uh, nothing but, a, you know, a portable cassette deck and a suitcase <laughs> and um, had the really the, the time of my life for two years. I realized that, you know, maybe I could make a go of this doing, you know, not only the, you know, radio that I, I, I seem to love, but now I'm playing the music that I love too. So I stayed in Edmonton for two years. And just before I left in the summer of 1984, the Oilers won the Stanley cup for the first time. So being there while the Edmonton Oilers were coming up and then seeing them lose in 83 to the Islanders and then win the Stanley cup in 84. I mean, that was, that was one of the great parties of my life when they won the cup in 84. And I left a couple of months later when uh, a gentleman, a legendary Canadian broadcaster named Gary Slate, um, I, sent me or called in in Edmonton and said, uh, "We have uh, we have an opening to do afternoons. Uh, do you want it?" And uh, uh, Bob, I didn't even ask how much they were paying. Like, I just I just didn't care, right? I went, "Wow, Q one hundred seven wants me to come and do afternoons." Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, like I'm in, I'm like 21 years old. This is just what I want to do. I want to go back home to Toronto. And uh, I, I accepted. When and you say, I just want, when you say Gary Slate called, did you send him tapes or had he, did he seek you out? Was, did, did he have like a, a talent pool search team or something? How, how did that happen? 
I, I would guess so. I, I had not reached out to Gary. Wow. So, okay, if you go back a year, so this, this is the summer of 84. In the summer of 1983, uh, sorry, in the fall of 1983, my grandmother passed away here in Toronto and, and I loved my grandma so much. She and I, we, we, she lived with us and she was just so, so awesome. I have such fond memories of her and she passed away in October of 1983. So I was coming home to, to see her and about, I don't know, a couple of weeks before she passed away, I got a call from uh, a guy, great guy named Ross Davies, who was the program director of Chum FM. Sure, yeah. And Ross said, uh, you know, John, I, I've, I've, you know, I, I know who you are. We kind of keep a talent base of across oh. the country and we've, we've got a job opening at, at Chum FM, which interestingly in at that point was still a rock station and they were a year away from changing to the very very successful formula they found the following year in 1984 so he was hiring me you know at the, what was the old chum fm yeah so um i said uh, you know okay if i'm you know i'd probably be in toronto at, at christmas or whatever and I'll, I'll talk to you then so it turns out, unfortunately, I had to come home in October. So I called him and I said, you know, I'm going to be in town for a week. Uh, he said, well, why don't you come in and see me? And I, and I did. And, and we spoke and it was it was a swing shift. It was like a couple of shifts on Saturday, Sunday, and then some fill in stuff. And I said, you know, Ross, I, 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 I'm, I'm flattered. But, uh, you know, I, it, when I do come back home to Toronto, it, I really want it to be for a, a, a full time. Yeah, regular shift. A regular shift. So he said, cool. And we've, you know, we've laughed about that over the years, Ross and I, and, you know, I still see him from time to time and I have nothing but respect for Ross. Ross Davies um, for the radio nerds, uh, probably most well-known for putting together Roger, Rick and Marilyn. Correct. That's for exactly. a FM guy. Yeah. Indeed. So, um, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know how, how much, um, either one of them knew about the other's plans, right. But then, so a year later, I get this, I get less than a year later, I get this call from Gary and uh, he just says, uh, you know, Gary, Gary, you know, is blunt and he's to the point <laughs> and he's like, uh, afternoons, you want it? <laughs> and, I, and I said, yeah, sure. Like I'll, I'll, I'll take that. And so I, I ended up coming home and that was in, in the summer of 1984. And uh, like that just led to, you know, eight, nine of just the most awesome years of my life. Q107 in the mid eighties, as you know, was in a great battle with CFNY. Um, you know, it, it was, it was just an absolutely awesome time to be doing rock radio in Toronto. Um, you know, hair metal became huge right around that time. And, and we very much carried that banner and uh, it was, it, it was, just an amazing experience and then just before like gary ended up leaving and, and his dad who, yeah. who ended up being one of the founding owners of the raptors uh his dad ended up selling and it was bought by a company called wick western international communications out of vancouver and um as we got into like 1992 some new management was brought in and uh, I, I, again, back then, you know, I, I wasn't always thinking clearly. So uh, I got into a couple of headbutting matches with the with the new new management. And what happened was uh, Jake Edwards was our morning guy. 
Brother Jake. Jake, one of the one of the all-time greats. Um, funny, funny guy, tremendous morning talent. So Jake ended up leaving. And, and the, so the morning show was open and, uh, we discussed me taking over the morning show and, and they were like, okay, like, we're just going to look and see what we want to do. So this now we're looking at the very end, like Christmas, 1992. And, um, so right at that time that this, you know, talent search is going on and they're considering whether they want to give me the morning show or, or somebody else, I get a call from a guy named Ian McLean, who was the program director of Show FM in Montreal. And Ian says, Terry DeMonte, who is our, our longtime morning man, has taken a job across the street at a station called Mix 96. Uh, would you be interested? And I said, well, you know, as it turns out, I'm kind of, you know, waiting to see what happens with the morning show at Q. And so, I went back to the Q107 management. Now, these guys are really new. I don't really know them that well. So there's not much of an established relationship. Uh, I don't know what they've heard about me. I haven't heard much about them. So I thought, I'm kind of flying blind here. I have no idea what their intentions are. And I said, look, guys, I've got this offer from a station in Montreal. And I think, you know, it, it, I got to know by, I, it was a date, like, let's just say sure. January 15th. Yeah. I said, I got to know by January 15th. And I, and I think that really put them off. So they didn't, they I, didn't I, like the ultimatum. I don't think they like no, the ultimatum. Yeah. Most of us don't, right? Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I learned a very valuable lesson there, Bob, because everybody I know said, John, there's no way they're going to let you go. No way. Well, they let, they let me go. Yeah. Right. That's what's the, what's, what's the line? We're all indispensable, but none of us are irreplaceable. And, and you know what, that's just the way it is. And yeah. I, and I learned, we all got to learn our lessons the hard way. Right. Um, and I, cause I probably would have said that to somebody else and said, Oh, they're never going to let you go. And then you go, Ooh, I was a little off on that one. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, um, they did, they, you know what they said, uh, we're, we're not, we're not prepared to, to deal with an ultimatum. And I said, okay. So I ended up leaving and, and went to Montreal for two years and, and had a great time. I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, there were, there were some, you know, struggles with adjustment being that it, it was, you know, a city that largely spoke a language I don't speak, but it was fun. It, it was, it was a good time. And, uh, then about, about a year and a half in, uh, I heard from, um, my old friend, Bob Makowitz, who I had worked very closely with at Q107. And at that point, Bob had taken over at the fan, the fan, was relatively new. It had found some success uh, in New York City with Don Imus doing, doing the morning show and then a great lineup throughout the day uh, of sports talent in New York City. So sports radio was still a, a reasonably new thing in North America, but they were trying this. And at, at the time I took the job and actually started, it was the fan 1430. Right. And then they they switched. Oh, it was very, very soon into my, I'm going to say two or three months after I started, 
they, they bought 590 and it became the fan 590, which, you know, it remains to this day. So the, the first year I'm at the fan, I, I have Jim Lang with me, just one of the all time great guys. Jimmy's just awesome. Uh, he had been with me in Montreal, Craig Venn, who Bob Makowitz had known from, from CFNY. CFNY yeah. And then Mike Richards, who had been part of uh, a Jerry Forbes's morning show on, uh, on Chum AM uh, previous to that. And, and, you know, Mike and Craig, a, a great bunch, but we were under a lot of pressure. Uh, the the goalposts changed for us a lot within that first year. I think, you know, um, the the ownership, the management was very susceptible to outside pressure. And we went from, you know, you've got a year to prove yourselves to you've got a month. <laughs> and it was uh, it was it was tough on everybody. It was tough on 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 the crew that I worked with. It, it was it was a tough time. So after, after about a year, they decided that uh, they wanted to bring somebody else in to co-host with me. And, you know, I, th I thought then, and I, I still think today that, you know, the reality was they didn't want to pay me out and wanted to get rid of me, but they thought, okay, since we don't want to pay this guy, we got to try to do something that, um, that bolsters the sports appeal of this morning show. Because believe me, at no point during <laughs> any of our conversations did I say I'm a sports expert. Right. Right. We were kind of going off the Don Imus template, which was a sort of general morning show followed by a day full of sports on the station. And all of a sudden it's like, no, you got to be a sports guy. And I went, wow, I'm in the wrong place here. So uh, in one of those things, and, and, you know, when you talk about change, Bob, this was one of the most, this was one of the greatest changes of my life because they brought in a guy named Pat Marsden, who was like a Canadian sports legend, right? Yeah. And yeah, my, my ego was bruised at first, like, oh, this is, you know, they feel like they have to bring in this expert because, you know, because I'm not, you know, up to this job myself. And so Pat and I, when, when he first got there, we really butted heads for all I'm going to say about two weeks, maybe a little longer, but it wasn't much longer than two weeks. And, and, you know, he was looking at me like, what the hell is this young rock jock doing here? And I'm looking at him going, why do I have to work with this old man? <laughs> and so we, we, we butted heads and then it was like, it was like a, a switch flipped and we became the best of friends. We, we, became, um, we became so close personally and professionally that it, it rekindled you know, my, my love of, of what we were doing. And, and I say that with no disrespect whatsoever to, to Mike and Jim and Craig, who all did the very best they could do, as I, as I think I did. But we were just not what they were looking for. Pat was. And we became great friends. We remained great friends up until Pat's passing 15 years ago. Uh, I learned so much from the man. And, and, I'll, and, and I think um, I can sum up kind of our relationship by the way that my, my tenure at the fan ended. And that was 
So uh, in 2000, very beginning of 2000, I get a call from, uh, from Q107, and they had reached out to me a couple of times during the late 90s because, you know, they, they ended up going with Howard Stern. Yep. And uh, before they brought in Stern, they'd reached out to me, and I, at that point, I went, nah, you know what, I think I'm going to stay here with Pat. And then they brought in, they brought in Stern, and so in early 2000, I get a call from a guy named Joe Zenobio, and I didn't know Joe, and and Joe has become a, a great, great friend as well. We have coffees from time to time. We still talk quite a bit, and Joe, Joe and I didn't know each other, but Joe thought he was the general manager at Q, and he thought, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to bring John back. So we started talking, and uh, I, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know what, the only reason I'm staying at the fan is because I love Pat Marsden. And, and I don't think that's, that's right. Yeah. I, I, I got to do what's right for me. And it wasn't at all that I was afraid to tell Pat. It was more that just our friendship had, had become such that I just didn't want to, I just didn't want to leave him. Anyway, the more I thought about it, I thought, wow, this is a great opportunity. And if they hire someone else, they're probably not going to ever come back to me again. So I ended up taking the job. So I now I got to go tell Pat. And this is so this is uh, I knew they were going to like let me go the day I told them. Sure. That, yeah. Yeah. When you say you're, when you say you're leaving, you're, you're not renewing your contract. Generally speaking in radio, you don't get to go back on the mic. They're not going to say, hey, no problem. <laughs> Stick around for a, for a yeah. few months. Although yeah. they did. They did do that in Montreal. But I was leaving the market. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when I told them in Montreal, I was coming back to Toronto. They made me work. I think four out of the six months I had, left. And, and that was, you know, that was cool. They, they wanted to look for a morning show. I got that. But if you're staying in the market, they're going to send you to the door that day. Yeah. So I come in that morning and I said, Pat, I got something to tell you. I said, I've decided that I'm going to take a job at Q107. And he looked at me and he said, Johnny, I'll tell you what. If you had told me that they had offered you a job at a place that I know you love and you had stayed here only because of me, I'd never speak to you again. <laughs> that's great. And I went, that's that's why I love the man. And yeah. so, yeah, it was it, the change with with Pat was um, it was so huge for me personally and professionally. Uh, I learned a, a lot from them, but, and I know it's something that you want to talk about. Um, unfortunately, at that same time, my personal life was unraveling. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I do want to talk about that. I want to ask you just one thing, though, about that relationship, because it is about change. You said for the first two weeks, you and Marsden were like butted heads and argued. Do you remember what got you guys on the same page? Like, was there a moment or was there, was it just like, Two, two egos going, you know what, neither of us is going to win. Like, was there, what was it? I can't remember specifically, no. yeah. but if I, re if I recall our relationship as well as I think I do, it would have revolved around a laugh. Yeah. Something would have happened <laughs> that would have made both of us look at each other and go, you know what, maybe this guy's not so bad. You know what? Yeah. Okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe we should, maybe we should both rethink this. And, um, 
and and look at it a little bit differently. And and that's what happened. So we, we had such amazing laughs. He used to do stuff to me. Oh my God, it was hilarious. And stuff that anyone else it would have driven me. Okay, so I'll give you an example. So what one day where this was when Tiger Woods was becoming huge. Okay. Right. And one of the things that used to drive us nuts is is that when something in sports would happen, it would be like nonstop. You wouldn't hear the end of it. So one, so Tiger's really taken off at this point. You know, he was playing as just a kid uh, in the Masters and he'd won the U.S. Amateur and he was he was really taken off. And so we're we're in a commercial break. And I said, oh, geez, are we ever going to hear enough of this guy? Like, my God, every single story's about this Tiger Woods guy. And I said, you know, that's that's not for on the air. And then we, we go on, we come out of the commercials and he says, so what do you think of Tiger Woods? <laughs> Just that was that was typical, Pat, right? Putting you on the spot and kind of getting me to repeat what he, I told him I didn't want to repeat. But yes, we ended up laughing about that and, and so many other things. So you go to Q107 with with Pat's blessing and uh, uh, it is early 2000. So you're in the in radio business right around that same time. You talk about Wick buying. Uh, you know, it was the standard, or I guess it was, or it wasn't standard anyways, when you, when Q was bought, when you were there, uh, the first time, and then now this time it gets bought by chorus entertainment and, uh, you end up in the same building as that station used to, you know, be always against, against CFNY. I want to talk about that, but you did mention, and I did ask you off the air, like before we started, uh, to, uh, if you wanted to talk about this, cause I've had other people on who, who, uh, have had, uh, addiction issues and uh i am always i'm always interested to hear how those changes came about what moment you know are there, are there moments i think it's important for us to you know when we talk about change like change is hard and you know the circumstances in life are hard and uh you had mentioned yeah so at that time you're so you leave your relationship with pat is good but but your personal life is not in the best spot no it's not and and uh it 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 got worse in the year that I went back to Q107. So I started Q at Q. I had to take a few months off because of my contract with the fan. So I tell them in, I'm going to say January of 2000. And then there was some legal wrangling as to when I could go back on the air. Right. Non-competes and stuff. Yeah. Correct. So I, I had a non-compete. And let's say it was six months and we got it down to like three or four or something. So it, it ended up getting sawed off. But so I start at Q in, uh, I think, April of 2000. And um, I was, I was, you know, using a lot of drugs and, and drinking way too much and um, embarrassing myself to be, to be quite honest in, in a lot of different situations. And this this was really unraveling as we got toward the end of of 2000 and to your point yes shortly after i started uh chorus ended up well became a, a company really and yeah. ended up buying q107 so the, the the guys who'd hired me were replaced very soon after i got there so that's unnerving. <laughs> well, it, it was. And, and again, now I'm dealing with guys who I don't know if they want me here. Right. Uh, it turns out uh, they've, they were all 
amazing guys who, uh, who you know, um, have uh, Stu Myers, Hal Blackadar, guys who've been, you know, just amazing parts of my life. But at the time, I don't know them. And uh, things, things are just, uh, things are terrible. I'm, I'm at my wits end. I, I can feel that even though I'm back working at a place I want, that my personal life is uh, just an absolute shambles. I'm single. Uh, I'm unable to, to stop my behavior. And uh, one day they sit me down and basically said, if you, if you don't change your act here, we're, we're going to take steps to let you go. And even though I'd had, you know, some drug and alcohol related issues over the years before that, I'd never had anyone say that to me, like either you get it together or it's time for us to part. And I thought, well, you know, that, that, that could be the end of me. Like that, that might be it for my radio career. Now I'm a guy who's been let go because he can't stay sober and, and uh, clean and sober. And so, okay. So I'm also at this point, Bob, I was just tired, man. Yeah. I, I was yeah. tired. And you know, there, there, there's a saying uh, sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. And, and that, that's what I was. I was defeated. I, I felt like, you know, I, I couldn't get myself out of it. Things just continued to get worse and worse. So in December of 2000, they, um, they signed off on me going into uh, treatment here in Toronto. And I did. And that was like a month and a half. It was 45 days. And, um, you know, I, I, I met a whole bunch of amazing people in there. I, I, I realized that, you know, I was happier than I'd been in quite some time. I was ready to come back out and, and, you know, relive or, or live my life uh, under different circumstances. And so that, that was in December of 2000, I had a, a slip about a little over a year later. So it's been 19 years. And, um, you know, shortly after I, I, I got it to, together in that sense, I met my wife and um, we got married in November of 2003. And, and, you know, we have three daughters, the eldest of whom is just off to university this year. And they've never seen me take a drink. They've never, you know, seen me take a drug. And, um, you know, from, from that standpoint, I've been, I've been incredibly blessed to, uh, you know, to have had, you know, it's funny, you know, the one ultimatum that I gave to somebody else that backfired and then another ultimatum that was given to me that worked, you yeah. know, that, that that was because honestly, I was so angry now that I think about it, I, I was so angry. I think my initial reaction as it was to so much back then was to lash out at them. And I'm, I'm thankful that I didn't because I would have said, you got no right to do this. Who do you, th you know, that whole tired act. Uh, but instead, I think I waved the white flag. And that was, that was finally the time for me to do just that. Wave the white flag, man. I surrender. And, uh, you know, because I mean, for the, for your bosses to come to you, I mean, like you were doing afternoon drive at that time, right? Yes. Yeah. Cause, cause Stern was on in the morning. So, so for them to come to you that like, I mean, there, there would have been, you know, incidents, I assume where like you might've been drinking at work or, or different things. And um, like when, when you're, when you were going through that, obviously your whole life's in turmoil, like, were you, were you aware 
that they, that that people were catching on, or did you, or is it just you're just in your own little world? Well, that's a great question. You know what? Because part of the disease is that you you make up any excuse you can. Like I think of things like you know the, the Christmas parties and stuff, and what yeah. I would tell myself with just being just being a drunken idiot and a drugged up idiot and i tell myself well don't worry because everybody there was as hammered as you were and then you think about it later and you go no they weren't right they were most of them were sober you idiots right you know so yeah you, you, the, the what you're able to convince yourself of and what you're able to tell yourself is the reality turns out to be so far away from it yeah i don't think i was hiding it from near as many people as i thought i was at the time yeah uh, um and and instead of finally for the first time instead of blaming the people who had yeah kind you know kind of put me in the hot seat i ended up saying hey you know what thanks a lot like you you not only did your your company a favor by straightening out one of your employees but you did me a massive favor because I was just, I was on a path that was going to end in at least destitution, if not death. Yeah. Well, you know what, like you said, it's amazing how, how different ultimatums are couched and how they, uh, how they can, how they can change you. Um, well, congratulations on 19 years and uh, we're glad you are. And around that time, just for me to be a little bit uh, selfish here, that's when I would have met you because that is when chorus, bought wick and i had spent uh three years at that time with cfmy on the humble and fred show and worked with martin streak and the clubs and um we all went up so for the, i think the first you know so they uh along with buying q107 they get uh am640 which at the time was kind of a, it was a talk station that was kind of floundering they had the leafs that was kind of their big thing and uh the uh, experiment that was mojo radio was launched and um um, you were a part of that. And, uh, I believe if I remember correctly, you would come on for an hour after, after, after your show was done, you'd come on and do an hour of talk, uh, definitely Derringer. And a couple of times I got to operate the uh, show with you, uh, at that point in time, you're healthy, you're well, what's it like though, from the guy who was the Q107, um, what, like to have your old enemy in the building with you? Cause I, I have, I have some observations about it. You know what? I mean, I, I just found that um, I found it interesting. Like I, I never really put that much thought into it to right. tell you the truth. And, and I thought that, you know, that there was more, more ascribed to what I thought than I had ever voiced. So I thought, well, this is a little odd. I've never said anything. I, <laughs> I don't even, it's not something I think about that much. Right. Um, so at, at that point, it was just like, let's just keep on what we're doing, what we're doing. And then I, you know, you hear things and you go, well, that's disappointing. But you know what, as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's water under the bridge and, uh, I haven't said anything about any of it in well 19 years. I well, guess. yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a, an interesting time. I mean, there was yourself and Humble and Fred, Scruff Connors was there. Um, you know, Mike Stafford, all these, all these big names in radio. It was a really interesting idea. I really thought the idea was terrific. It wasn't quite executed properly, but uh, brought you back on. And I, I don't. I'm going to tell you a little anecdote. I don't even know if you remember it, but I, again, being a young uh, idiot 
like kid. I was a technical producer on the Humble and Fred show. And I had just gone to New York City and I came back and I, and I bought a T-shirt off, the, off of one of those guys on the street. And the uh, T-shirt said, and pardon me, not safe for work, language, safe for work language, said, fuck you, you fucking fuck. <laughs> and you walked into the studio and we spent an hour talking about the shirt and like <laughs> and because the humble and fresh thought it was inappropriate to wear at the workplace and you took the angle of like this is the greatest shirt i've ever seen f u u f and f i just very early on in my career that was a is a, was a highlight for me i just want to share that with you well and you know what i can tell you i think you were way ahead of your time too because you hear the way teenagers talk <laughs> these days yeah and you get is. them get them gaming online it's ridiculous it is it's just insane and and you know i think i think a lot of the the, the power has been taken out of the word and i, I remember there was a, a friend of mine who used to you used to say something very very close yeah. um, in sentiment <laughs> to that and that's why i thought it was just yeah absolutely hilarious but it, it's amazing the way you know when we were first talking about you know how how sensibilities have changed so much yet in some other ways they've flipped the other way like oh, yeah. I, I, because i've got these you know three young daughters you you overhear teenagers talking you go wow they are no different than we were when we were that age no it's true yeah you know they uh, that is really interesting yeah because uh, yeah i think swearing has definitely become more permissible um, you know, certain, obviously there's, uh, you know, some pop culture references like that are, that are pretty out there, but you're right. General sensibilities, which would bring us all the way back to your show. Now, uh, there's no female on your show. Now, uh, you've had several different women you've worked with. How do you deal with those sensibilities when it's three dudes talking? Well, I, I think, I think part of it is, um, Put it this way, most of the time when somebody complains about something that they've heard, uh, it's not necessarily what was said by the, you know, somebody says something and that may or may not be considered offensive. It's, it's how the other people in the show act toward it. Right. right? Yep, yep. So if you say something that is derogatory to a race or to, you know, a vulnerable person, and you say it, and somebody and everyone else laughs, it makes it way worse. It's almost like the cover up is worse than the crime, right? right. So what we do is, is in cases like that, it's imperative that one of us take that role and say, hey, back off a little bit. And, and in, in many cases, that is a role that's taken by, by a woman on the show. Right, right. Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. And, you, and you've worked with some amazing strong women over the years who, who would, yeah, who would, who would say that, right? Like who, who would, who would, who would step up and say that, I mean, to, and now, you know, no offense to Johnny Garbutt and Ryan, but you know, for them to be, it, it's, it's just a different, it's a different dynamic, you know? Yeah, no, it certainly is with, you know, Maureen Holloway was with us for a long time and, you know, Maureen is as good a broadcaster as there is out there. Um, you know, going back to the to the early days, that that was that was a time when you know it wasn't so much a co-host as like a traffic reporter. Yep. Who, who would you know who would also kind of be part of the show? And you think, well, it's really really unfair to put a, a traffic reporter, somebody you know who that's their main job, to put them in the position of feeling they have to police my comments. Right. 
right? That that that's not a fair position to to put somebody in. So yeah, I, you know what? I mean, it 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 seems to be working. I yeah. think I think a big part of it is is indeed that idea that we we don't go misogynist. We don't, uh, you know, that's just not where we're at right now. Um, and again, that in in somewhat contra, a somewhat stark contrast to, you know, to ten or even fifteen years ago, with what you were able to do and what people found funny or humorous in the in the early two thousands compared to compared to today. I um I won't keep you much longer. I appreciate your time, and we even moved the uh, day that we could do this because I had to change things. So, but I do want to ask you uh about our industry and you know you spent 40 years uh in this industry in broadcast in traditional broadcast radio and um you know i remember when like so 23 years ago 24 years ago when i started uh sirius and xm were just launching and they were going to kill radio of course they they, know they know sirius and uh, regular radio will die and of course that didn't happen um however if there's a an industry I feel that needs to change and evolve. It's our industry. How do you feel about our industry these days, John? Well, you know what it is. It is the big question, Bob. And when you, when you talk about change, this is, this is the biggest onslaught uh, of competition that, that radio has had. I mean, uh, since I got into the business, there was always something lurking around that was yeah. going to to ruin radio, whether <laughs> it be, you know, t- cassette tapes in yep. cars, and then it became, oh, you got a CD player in the car. And then, as you mentioned, satellite radio. Well, now what you have is is you have podcasts and, and Spotify, yep. right? And it, it's not at all surprising that many who have uh, decided to leave the radio business, like, you know, Humble and Fred, Dean Blundell, many others, most recently, Terry DeMonte and Ted Bird from Montreal, have decided to venture into podcasts. And, uh, you know, I, I respect that decision. I think Humble and Fred were the first. They've made a, a, a nice, you know, career of it. They enjoy it. You know, I've heard them both say that they love the freedom of doing what they want. And believe me, I, I totally get that. But I love radio and radio is my first love. And I don't get the same charge from a podcast that I get from being on the radio at six o'clock in the morning. And I, I'm um, I'm one of those interesting creatures that loves the hours. There are many people who've done morning radio who love everything about it, except getting up every morning at four. And buddy, I, I decided to eat that up as a lifestyle almost 20 years ago. I tried for five years in, Mon- in well, seven years, two in Montreal and five at the fan to live a normal partying life and still get up and I I, there's no way I could have continued to do that so my family has totally signed off on my lifestyle the fact that I go to bed at nine that I have a nap during the day there's never a complaint about it they don't make me feel guilty about it I love it I have no desire to sleep in it's just not not where I'm at but there's something to me that is electric about live radio. Your point is a good one. We're now at a crossroads. What do we do about it? So I think the, uh, you know, we're, we're, we've now got a, a generation, probably two generations of potential 
uh, listeners, audience who are used to getting what they want on demand. Yep. Right. They're they're You know, kids these days don't understand staying up until 1130 for David Letterman. Nope. Well, like, why would I stay up if I want to watch Jimmy Fallon? I watch it the next morning on my phone. Yeah. Like, what's wrong with you people, right? <laughs> so uh, radio, I think, provides an immediacy, uh, an electrical charge that really no other business does. Here's, here's where I think radio has a great advantage. Okay. And, and I'm, I'll specifically talk about music, uh, music radio, because I think talk radio also has a place, but for very different reasons. So you've got, you've got Spotify, which is, gives you access to every possible song album you can imagine. It's, I spend as much time, I think, as the average adult on Spotify and I, I'm really, really disappointed, but somewhat shocked every time there's an artist that is not on there. Right. Right. That's how ubiquitous artists are on, on Spotify. Then you've got podcasts. And the problem with podcasts is you can't play music on them. Right. right. You can't right. you can't play like you can't do a regular radio show on podcasts. And, and if you were to if it became any sort of success, you'd get shut down. You can't make any money on it. Correct. So you got these two things. Well, what can radio give you? Radio can give you both of those things, right? Radio can give you music and it can give you personality. So the next question is, and, and honestly, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that there is one correct answer to this. How does radio harness that one thing that it's been given here, Right. How do we make radio, music radio, fully utilize its ability to mix music and personality? Because I, I find if I if I go on a, you know, if I'm driving a long distance, sure, I'm going to throw on a podcast. There's times when I go, yeah, I'd like to hear something different, throw on Spotify. But there's also, um, you know, and I find it especially uh, the case during drive times, morning and afternoon. When you're listening to a radio station, that should be reflective of, you know, today, Toronto on September 13th, 2021. Spotify isn't that, and neither are podcasts, because you, you don't get a podcast that was recorded in real time. So I think that's radio's, you know, next big challenge and how we are able to handle it. I don't know. I, I, I really don't. It, yeah, but, but I think there, there, there is a door that is open, and the radio industry has to kick it in. And some of the work's already been done, but th there's a lot more to be done. And I, and and I hope, uh, I hope a, a, a broad solution is found. No, I, I, this is never before in the history of radio has what is on between the songs been more important than today. And I think that's what you were getting at is, is, is that is, you know, that, that combination of podcasts and music, you know, all together, all in one. I don't know if there's ever been a time, as you said, personality, personality driven radio. And I hope we can figure it out because you said the two generations, that's the other problem. There's no, find me a kid who's 22 and has a favorite radio station. There's not a ton of them, right? Like, because they don't have to listen to the radio because they've grown up in an on-demand world. So, I mean, I still got 20 plus years left in this business. I hope we as an industry come up with something that uh, is sustainable and, uh, and will, will change 
uh, you know, and evolve properly. Kind of like the, uh, you know, uh, Derringer in the morning show has. You guys have, uh, you guys have, you guys have evolved. I mean, you can't be, you know, what you're doing, uh, as you said, even just compared to ten years ago, is, you know, probably practically a completely different show. But you know, what with you still as the host, but you know, fifteen years ago was was different. You've changed along the way, and as you've grown as a human being, you've grown the character of John Derringer, who is, you know, pretty close to who I think John Derringer is as a human being. But uh, it's a uh, it's phenomenal. And I, I congratulate you on all your success, John. Well, thank you, Bob. I, I, you know, thank you very much for, for asking me to join you today. Um, I, I love the topic because change is such a, it's an inevitable and extremely important part of life. And, and, you know, we, I think as much as it's important for us to know when we have to make change, it's also incredibly important to know when we don't have to make change. And, and you know, to, to my point that, that, you know, I've, I've kind of learned, I think, over the years that, you know, you don't always have to push back to change. Right. I, I think it's also very important to remember that there are times when it is very important to push back. And, and success comes with navigating those two choices. Do I or do I not push back on this one? And sometimes the answer is, yeah, you know what? This is not the time for change. Things are going well right now. I don't want to change for the sake of it. And sometimes that is, that is the answer too. John Derringer can be heard weekday mornings on Q107, q107.com and a Radio Player Canada app and all those different places. John, thank you so much, man. It was really great to catch up with you and, uh, and uh, thank you for being so open and honest. My pleasure, Bob. Great speaking to you, buddy. We got to stop making sense. This has been Bob's Basements. Thanks for listening. Thanks. That's the way it is. For more information, email Bob at bobwillette at gmail.com. That's Bob Willette. Like Gillette with a W. Follow Bob on Twitter at Bob Willett. Bob's Basement is available where you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time. Well, that's the way it is.